Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I suppose most of us could say that we have had a busy day. We are rather tired. And I assume that a number of us are tired because I notice on each Wednesday night the number of us that say good morning. And I assure you that you are perfectly natural. When we're tired, uh, we just aren't sharp, are we? And we tend to say the things that we habitually say. But it is nice, isn't it, during the Lenten season that we can come to God's house just a little more often that on Wednesday night at these Vesper services we can lay aside the cares of the day come in and spend an hour in God's house and think about Jesus' sufferings and death, think about his passion, think about the things that he endured for us, and then pray that with again the knowledge that we have had here in God's house that we may be drawn just a little bit closer to him, that we may grow stronger in our faith, or that our Christian life may be deepened. And what we are trying to do in this Lenten season, that we will be relaxed, that we will feel at ease here in God's house, and that we will take a look at our Lord. And what we are doing in these uh, Lenten services is looking at, again, some of the questions that were asked in the Passion story, above all the questions that disturb us, that have a way of jabbing our consciences of upsetting us, of troubling us just a bit. You remember that last Wednesday night on Ash Wednesday, we were in the upper room and we were with Christ and with the disciples when Jesus told them that one of you is going to betray me, one of you is going to play the role of a hypocrite, one of you is going to be an actor, you're going to be a two-faced person. Then you recall that each one of the twelve asked him, Lord, is it I? Uh, you don't mean me, do you, Lord, or, or do you? And we dwelt on that disturbing question last Wednesday night, and it did disturb, didn't it? Because we confess that we even have a guilty feeling when we ask it, Lord, is it I, realizing that it could very well be you and I uh, playing the role of the actor. Tonight there's another one that bothers, it bothers me, and I'm sure that it will bother you too and that it does. After Jesus finished many things in the upper room, of course, Judas, you know, had gone out, so there were only 11 left, and then Jesus. And after they had sung a hymn, they left the upper room, and they started on the road up to Gethsemane. It's just about, oh, about three-fourths of a mile outside of the city. I have walked part of that road. They crossed the Brook Kidron. They came up the slope of the Mount of Olives, and over to the right, as you come up the road, is the Garden of Gethsemane. We're told that Jesus had gone there quite frequently, even though Scripture doesn't mention the number of times that he went or on the various occasions. But as he went into that garden, he told the disciples to sit down. He said, will you sit down while I go over and while I pray? Eight of them sat down, and he took three of them. They formed the inner circle of the twelve. He took Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the brothers, and uh, they walked farther into the garden. And then Jesus stood there with them, and he said to them, 
because he was agitated and he was filled with terror and with sorrow, he said to the three, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He said, Man, my soul is so filled with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm choking to death. It was tremendous. And then he said, Stay here, don't leave me, and watch, will you please, men? And then we are told that he walked, uh, oh, about as far as you could throw a stone. And then he got down on his knees and he bowed his head on the ground and he began to pray uh, that he might be spared the uh, suffering that was ahead of him. We are told that he prayed, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Then when he had prayed it, that first time he got up and he went back that stone's throw back to Peter and to James and John. He went back there. He, he craved companionship. He, he wanted some comfort. He who was so filled with grief that he thought he was choking to death, that he was dying, and the three of them were asleep. And then we are told, he said, to Peter, he said, Simon, are you asleep? And then to the three of them, he said this question, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? And then they were awakened for a little bit, and he said, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went back, and he prayed the same thing the second time, and came back, and Peter, James, and John were asleep again went back the third time and he prayed it again and this time it was so fervent because he was so filled with grief that he thought he was dying he was just smothering with grief but when the sweat oozed out of his body the sweat was drops of blood and an angel came and ministered to him and he went back to Peter, James and John the third time and they were asleep again you and I tonight as we think of Gethsemane and think of Christ so filled with grief and terror that he thought he was dying, he was just smothering, he was choking and going back to the three. We think of that question, what? Couldn't you stay awake, Peter, James, and John? Couldn't you stay awake for just one hour? Tonight, uh, let's let Jesus ask you that question and me that question. And let's be relaxed and let's be honest with him. He says to you and he says to me, what? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? And perhaps you and I would say, well, sure, Lord. I could watch with you one hour. I can stay awake for one hour for you. And then before we're too quick to answer, Let's look at it again. Do we stay awake for him? Or does he say to you and me, can't you stay awake? Can't you watch for just one hour? And to answer the question, we've got to look at ourselves and let's do a little probing tonight. While we're here in God's house, we're not on the air, we're by ourselves. When you and I probe and Jesus says, couldn't you stay awake for one hour for me or with me? We need to probe and we need to ask ourselves, what kind of a companion 
are you and am I in the crises and in the difficulties and in the sorrows of others. Jesus, with his face in the dust, he prayed and he was smothering with grief. He thought he was dying. Grief was so tremendous. And then coming back and he just said, don't leave me, please stay here. He was a man. He was God, but he was every inch a man. And as a man that night in Gethsemane, what he wanted was companionship, just to know somebody was there, somebody was watching, somebody was feeling with him. Tonight's the night when you and I look at ourselves and we say, Lord, when they need somebody, even though you don't say a word, all that Jesus wanted that night was just to go over and to have them watch him. Oh, if Peter had just been awake and put his arms around him and said nothing, and James and John, or would have just tapped him on the shoulder, or would have just shaken hands with him. That's all he wanted. He was craving companionship, somebody to sympathize with him. I don't think you and I can realize what just being there, companionship means. I wonder when there's illness in the homes of some of our friends. I wonder if we have any idea what it means just to go. Or if death takes place, just to go, to be there. To sympathize, simpasco, to feel with somebody. Do we have any idea? what it means to be a companion when suffering comes. Whether we say a word or not, I don't think any one of us can imagine what it means. I know that when I walk into a room at the hospital or at home when death's taken place, I know this, that they greet me with such eagerness that sometimes I'm of the opinion that they feel that God's walking in, that I could actually raise their loved one from the dead that eager at times to see me as a minister and then I am humbled because I know it's just to have me there. What can you do? Just be there. Just be there. And I suppose some of the thrills that a minister has when he walks into a sick room and the patient may be dying and I've been told it, and I mention it at all humility, to have somebody say, when you walked into the room, it was just like Jesus Christ coming in. Just being here is sunshine. Just to have you take a hold of my hand. How many of you have had the experience with a sick person in the hospital, and you sat there most of the afternoon or most of the morning, and your loved one slept? But the minute you walked out of the room on tiptoe, your loved one woke up. And you couldn't understand. There was something that your loved one, even asleep, felt when you took your presence out of that room. I don't think there's anybody here tonight that has any conception of what companionship means. And when my Lord was having his face in the dust in Gethsemane, oh, he was my Lord and my God, but he was a human being. And God knows that what he needed above all else when he was praying there was to go up and to find Peter, James, and John awake. Companionship, don't leave me for God's sake. Stay with me. And they fell asleep. Before you and I say, sure, Lord, I can stay with you one hour. 
I wonder how seriously and how importantly you and I have considered this thing of companionship. You know, last Wednesday night we joined hands, didn't we? I know that some of you may say, I, I don't know whether I like that or not. May I assure you, friend, that you're not in any danger when you reach out and you take somebody's hand. You don't know them. One man said, I felt so alone, so all alone, but when somebody I didn't know took my hand, I felt somebody cared, and I walked out of church, and I felt good. That, that's what it means. I wonder how many of us realize this. We say, Lord, I can watch with you. When I, I wonder whether we realize just what our coming to church, just being there, means to somebody else. I wonder how many of us know how many people look to see if we're there. And just our being in church is a comfort to some people. Just being there. And that's why tonight as we probe down and Jesus says, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? We're so anxious to say, Oh Lord, sure I can stay awake one hour for you. It's good to probe and to say, Lord, I don't know what kind of companionship I have offered to my fellow men in their grief. And if it hasn't been what it ought to be, we ought to say tonight, Lord Jesus, forgive. It disturbs me. It kind of hurts. It kind of upsets, doesn't it, when you think about it? What? Could ye not watch with me one hour when he had told them that I am so full of grief, I am so filled with terror and sorrow, that I, I'm, I'm choking, I, I'm smothering, I think I'm dying. When the sweat came out with drops of blood and he went back to those three men. He was depending upon them and uh, they were sound asleep. It means to probe, doesn't it? And when we probe, we ought to ask ourselves, I wonder how many times you and I have broken Christ's heart when we didn't watch one hour. You say, break his heart? Here he was. He was, again, facing death on the cross. Jesus knew what that death meant. He knew this, and you know it as a Christian. You were taught it in catechism. You've heard it in church on Sunday. That, that death to him, when he was there in Gethsemane and he was asking the Heavenly Father, is there some other way? It was more than just dying. It was a death whereby he as a person was to bear the guilt and the eternal punishment of the entire human race. And I know when I think of that, it baffles me. And it, because it baffles us, perhaps that's one reason why we fail to see how serious it is that we break his heart. God came into the world as a human being. He at Gethsemane surrendered himself to the will of his heavenly Father, and he was willing there, and in Gethsemane said, Not my will, but thy will be done. Lay on me. Let me suffer the torture, the excruciating agony of an eternity in hell for the human race. And he went back to the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they were asleep. They broke his heart. They just broke his heart. No wonder he wept. They broke his heart. He, 
no appreciation. I wonder in your Christian life and mine how much we do appreciate Calvary. What he really did for us. Is it so beyond us that we break his heart and we, we don't realize it at all? Or how about it? Tonight's a good night to think about it, isn't it? When we're alone, we're here in God's house. What could she not watch with me one hour? Couldn't you stay awake one hour, Peter, James, and John? And oh, they just slept away and they snored. And we say to ourselves, I wonder how often I've broken his heart in the lack of appreciation. And then I wonder if we realize just how indifferent you and I can be to spiritual things. How much are we affected by spiritual things? Lord, I can watch with you one hour. We may say, sure, I can and I do. But do we? Here they were asleep absolutely oblivious to what was going on and here the Son of God was so filled with grief that he thought he was smothering, that he thought he was dying. They were, they were asleep. How cold and indifferent are you and I to spiritual things? Oh, let's bring it right down home. You heard me just announce over here that I'm going to start an adult class Monday night. Does it mean anything to you? How many of you haven't even thought about it? How many of you have even thought that I'm, I'm not gone or I am gone, but it, it's just went in here and came out here? Just, you couldn't care less. Oh, you're going to read the bulletin on the Sunday following, and we're going to find out how many were there. And if uh, there weren't as many there as you might have thought, you might, have, might say, well, I suppose... Uh, I guess we're digging at the bottom of the barrel, or maybe we need a new preacher, or something like that. But I wonder how many of us tonight, and I mean myself too, when I announced that said, here is the way in which the kingdom of God grows. Here is one of the most important things that the church does. We're reading all over in the papers about the church failing and church attendance going down, and again about the gospel not being preached, but when the gospel is preached, and men without Jesus Christ are lost, and here is an opportunity in your home and mine and with your friends and mine to bring them and give me a chance to do your job to tell them and introduce them to Christ. How many of us are going to say, Lord, I couldn't watch with you one hour. I, I couldn't care less. How about it? Yet again, the way the church grows, that's the way, isn't it? That's the way. How many of us don't try? We don't care. We don't intend to go. But we are very ready to criticize. Oh, I mean myself too. That it doesn't mean anything. Come Sunday with the kids for Sunday school or the children for catechism or the junior choir or Lutheran youth or junior Lutherans or Luther League. How many of us, we couldn't watch one hour. We couldn't care less. We are so indifferent, we are so cold that we're like Peter, James, and John. We are just sitting and we're sleepy. How about stewardship? You never hear me make a big noise about giving, do we? But tonight, what kind of a steward are you? What kind am I? Is 
Jesus really pleased with what we do? I remember one man here in the church coming to me one day and he said, Now listen, Reverend, whenever you need money, you be sure and tell me and then I'll come across. And I said, Thank you, and I didn't comment. Several weeks later he came to me and said, You know, that was a foolish thing I told you the other day. And I said, Yes, and I thought you'd see it. He said, if everybody told you that, he said, they wouldn't be given anything, would they? And I said, that's about right. What kind of a steward are we? Does it bother us? What could ye not watch with me one hour? You and I just sleep through it. We couldn't care less as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Tonight Jesus is asking you and he's asking me, couldn't you watch with me one hour? And I, again, your Savior, and I was so full of grief that I thought I was choking to death and smothering. When I needed companionship, they failed me. What are you doing? Bothers, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I have a horrible, guilty feeling that I couldn't even watch one hour that it hasn't been what, what I owe him. Then I wonder, too, as we dig in, and he asks you and me tonight, uh, couldn't you stay awake one hour for me? We ought to say, what kind of a pushover are we for temptation? When he went back the first time and he asked the question, could you not watch with me one hour? He said to Peter James, and now watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. This watching and not sleeping, how about it, with temptation with regard to Christ. I realize if we're ever passing through a period of temptation with regard to Christ and the Word of God, it's now. You can hear anything on the radio in the name of the church that you want to hear. The Jesus you can hear men say is not God the Son, he was not deity. He was not virgin born. The Bible is not the word of God. I wonder whether when Jesus says, couldn't you watch with me one hour? I wonder whether we're alert enough on the basis of our background and of our training to say, Lord Jesus, none of that stuff for me. This is still your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, every word of it verbally superintended. You are still no less than God. You are true man. You are virgin born. You are without sin. You are my Savior. You are my Christ. That is not very popular today. That's going out of many churches. I wonder if you and I are awake and we're realizing that we're becoming almost a minority in standing up for the Christ who again in Gethsemane realized that death to him meant to bear the guilt and the punishment of the world. He knew who he was. Can you not watch with me? one hour then as we get very very practical we before we say sure Lord I can watch with you an hour I'm watching all the time I'm awake and I'm alert we ought to 
probe a little bit and ask ourselves, how about sleeping in church on Sunday morning? Well, I know we have a lot of humor about sleeping in church. We usually blame it on to the preacher that he put us to sleep. But I wonder tonight, instead of blaming the preacher and let the preacher blame himself if he's at fault and you, I wonder how many of us have got to say, I, I can't watch with you one hour. But when I come to church on Sunday, I don't get anything out of it because I fall asleep. That means that we ought to just look at our life on Sunday morning and say, what did I do on Saturday night? I know what a temptation it is when you can slam the door of your place of business on Friday night and you have nothing to do till Monday morning. But I know what a tremendous temptation it is for you who have a free Saturday and a free Saturday night to say this is the one night. But I wonder how many of us would have to say tonight the reason why when I'm in church on Sunday that I can't stay awake and I couldn't possibly watch one hour is because Saturday night was a bit rigid and there was very little sleep. I wonder, as Jesus says, can't you watch with me one hour? I wonder how many of us would have to say, well, Saturday night means so much more that therefore I'm in no shape spiritually or otherwise to come to church and to hear your word. I wonder whether we'd have to say, no, I, I can't stay awake one hour because Saturday night interferes. I wonder how many of us have disciplined ourselves enough that Saturday night is preparation for Sunday. That if there's anything in your life and mine on Saturday night that's going to interfere with the opening of our hearts to the Word of God, that we ought to say it's going to stop. But of course, that's something in your life and that's something in mine. As far as my Saturday nights are concerned, it has always been this. I fight off anything for Saturday night. Speeches are otherwise because to me, I know this, that if I'm going to be ready on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, I can't be out all Saturday night unless some of you are ill. And I have been at the hospital many a Saturday night, but God understands that. And then there's strength, but Saturday night is a prelude for Sunday. What could ye not watch with me one hour and before we say, well, sure I could, Lord, and I do, and uh, I know that I do. I keep awake, and we again ought to probe, and it hurts to probe, doesn't it, into our spiritual life, and we ought to say to ourselves on Sunday morning, what comes first? Is it the late Sunday morning sleep, or is it going to church? I know you will say to me, well, we're here in church, or so am I, but we're we're looking at all the eventualities and the little possibilities that come. Isn't it strange how often we can, what sleep means to us on Sunday morning? It's funny that uh, it doesn't mean that much on Monday. We get up and we go to work, but how we tell ourselves, I've got to get my sleep. 
I must sleep, and the only morning I've got to sleep is Sunday. And somehow or other we feel rather justified, and we feel rather proud, and we know that Christ will understand, even though it means that we despise his word. But we say, sleep's the all-important thing, and I know that he understands. I've got to catch up on my sleep because it's so vital and it's so necessary. And yet he was up all this night, and he, again in Gethsemane, he prayed, and when he went back, here was Peter, James, and John snoring away, sound asleep. What could ye not watch with me one hour? It didn't touch them, although they broke his heart. We say to ourselves, what, what's the most important? Do we go or do we sleep? That brings up even a more serious question as we probe within our own soul. What could you not watch with me one hour when we probe? Do we have the slightest and the faintest idea of what it means to let sleep on Sunday morning to keep us in God's house? Do we have any idea what it means? Have we ever said this to ourselves, that when we deliberately stay away from God's house, that's the definite road to spiritual suicide? You have heard me say it. All you need to do is miss church three times in a row. Three Sundays in a row can do it. And when we miss three Sundays in a row, it can do this, that we'll never be back as long as we live. Oh, I, I'm very happy to serve Emmanuel Congregation in our church attendance. I'm glad to say that Emmanuel has the biggest church attendance of any church in the high district. I'm very happy about that, and so are you. But isn't it strange that a church with over 2,000 members, and then we are the largest, and we average 1,000 and something, 1,056, about... Oh, we'll say 50%, not quite one out of two. We wonder why. Out of 2,000, we say, well, here comes a night service. And in the light of 2,000, of course, we know a lot of people don't go out at night. And we know this, but we say, we wonder why, don't we? We say, where, where are those who pledged allegiance we wonder, what's happened? There's only one conclusion, isn't there? That somewhere along the line, somebody couldn't watch one hour. Somebody slowly despised God's word. And something happened inside. Like it happened to King Saul. King Saul, you know, the first king of Israel, then he was a handsome individual, and again he loved God, and he started out great. But he started slowly to wander away from God. Then we are told this about Saul, said, and the Spirit had departed from him, and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. Then you see when the crisis came in his life and he thought that he was going to be captured by the enemy and turned over to the hands of the Gentiles, it was all gone. There was nothing to turn to, and all he could do when his soldier wouldn't put him to death, 
is to draw his sword and bury the hilt in the ground and he ran on it and leaped on it and he took his own life and we stand there and we say poor deluded man but you see the tragedy is this that after you and I couldn't watch one hour and we're on this road to the hardness of hearts and the sin against the Holy Spirit the possibility of coming back is very very slight very very it's tragic isn't it to warm up somebody who has stood at God's altar and has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and who couldn't watch one hour it's a difficult thing in so many cases almost impossible 